what does insight-driven messaging look like for sales? Like a whole lot more deals, fast. Jump on high-intent leads in the moment with Intercom, the business messenger that extends the reach of your team 24-7. Intercom creates more opportunities for you by booking meetings and collecting data from leads automatically. Take Intercom user Elegant Themes. They now convert 25% of leads through Intercom's messenger. Deals don't wait. Get them with Intercom. Go to intercom.com slash deals. That's intercom.com slash deals. Hey, welcome back. Time to grab your surfboard. We're going to swim out in that vast sea of ideas. See if we can't uh, catch a wave today here with the man who, uh, well, he has a wave-making machine at his home. I didn't know if any people know that, but he he's out there riding as we speak here in his uh, back 40, Matt Hines. Wouldn't that be awesome if I could actually like do my do our do our show here while on a surfboard? Someone's someone has to have done that. Somebody right? has Some, to have done that. Somebody who has a podcast who is down in Southern California, you're in the woods. <laughs> All right, exactly. That you know, like it's time to record, but the surf's up, man, and it's good. Well, you know, it's, get out there. you know, what's weird is they're actually building some of these down here. Uh, there's one proposed out in Palm Springs where they're going to actually build a wave pool and it's going to generate waves and you can actually bring a surfboard out to the desert and ride a wave i mean what a crazy so, idea uh, there i think it was on real sports real sports is a it's sort of like a 60 minutes for sports show that hbo does like a couple of years ago they did a story on kelly slater who's you know one of the yeah, more right. famous uh you know professional surfers over the last you know several years he built this machine out in the desert so oh, like he had yeah. he built a wave machine that basically is just it's this enormous like rectangular pool, yeah. It makes legit waves you can surf on. Yeah, he it did starts it up practice. and it crashes, and there's a little yeah. beach to it, and you can. It doesn't last. The ride doesn't last very long, but you can get up on a surfboard and ride for a few seconds. Yeah. So my wife is from uh, the San Diego area, and there's a surf shop in Encinitas, which is north of where she grew up. Right. And they have. They also they do a little bit of like ski uh, sales as well. And in the back, in their back, uh, in the parking lot, they have this machine, and it basically is a ski practice facility. Cool. And from what I can tell, it's basically a car Carpet on a treadmill. Like it's basically, it's 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 on an incline, right? Like it's basically, right. it's, it's pretty large, but it's basically just a carpet that just is constantly turning. Well, how about that? See, we, we've got a whole new industry being born here. Tune in next week, and we'll have a whole new show on wave machines that uh, Matt Hines is going to be marketing. Wave Pipeline Radio. It's going to be awesome. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Oh, okay. Very excited to have you here today. Uh, if you are new to the show, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're listening to us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks for learning, making us part of your workday today. We are here every Thursday live at 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. If you're listening on the podcast, thanks so much for subscribing. Uh, just excited, as always, to see our listeners grow and the impact. I think we're having for a lot of people that are listening in on the show so thanks very much for doing that and every if you want to check out some of our past episodes every episode is available past present and future at salespipelineradio.com you know i have a i have a question for you today because it's just you and i uh bantering here shooting the breeze a little bit here and uh, i don't get a chance to do this with you very often but i wonder if as people are listening to the show and taking the advice whether they're doing incremental change 
or exponential change? What are oh, they getting? Oh my out goodness! Of Someone read the show notes. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we um normally uh for Sales Pipeline Radio we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in um in sales and marketing. Normally I say today is no different. Today you got you me. me. So today is very different. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we um had a guest cancel last minute, and uh, you know I was traveling beginning of this week, and you know I think we should probably do more episodes like this because there's so many things. That just I think come up that I think about that I think would be fun to just kind of explore. And I, I think the topic it. today that I've been thinking a lot about is this difference between incremental and exponential thinking and what that difference is, what it means, why it's important. And part of the reason this came up, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, Paul, as we talk through this, but part of the reason this came up is we've been doing a series of these CMO breakfasts around the country. Right. And we've been doing it for about a couple of years. And, you know, we basically get 20 to 25 B2B CMOs in a room. Uh, and we talk about sort of things that are that they're struggling with, things that are challenges right now. And we did a handful this fall uh, with a partner, Lean Data. And we the topic was specifically around revenue operations. And the idea that most companies in B2B have some marketing operations, they've got sales operations. These are the teams that are managing the tools and the systems behind the scenes. If companies should be thinking about a unified revenue operations strategy. And I think most people that were in the room were really challenged with how to do that. And what we found is part of the challenge is that despite the interest in the topic, we had a lot of people that were working through it incrementally mm. and not really thinking through the exponential change in strategy required. And what practically what that means is Day to day, week to week, you know, we are facing our fire drills on a regular basis. And so we're making tactical decisions. Well, what are we going to do to fix this problem that we had in Salesforce? Or, hey, we don't have anyone following up with the trade show leads. What do we do with the trade show leads? Or our drip campaigns aren't working as well. Who does who fixes that and how do we, should we fix that? So these these small tactical problems that provide incremental change, but we're not always taking the time to step back and think about the monumental changes that may be in front of us, that if we could think more strategically about those, we might be able to move forward more efficiently. So let me ask a challenge question here. You ready for a challenge question here? Bring it. Do you make incremental change to make big changes? In other words, do you just start taking little steps and that leads you towards a big change? Or do you have to take a big, big leap to make a big change? So it's a great question, and I don't know that you can design exponential change. I think it does happen kind of slowly. I mean, what was the what was the quote from um, like Ernest Hemingway in The Sun Also Rises? He you know basically said gradually, and then suddenly. Yeah. And you think about exponential change, and you think about technology. Like technology, you think, oh my God, email just showed up. Oh my God, social media just showed up. Like no, these things have been around for a while, just slowly improving, and then. There is a tipping point for new ideas, for new technologies that tends to happen fairly quickly. And we feel like it's happening to us quickly, whereas when you look back in retrospect, it has been happening slowly over a long period of time. Now, you had me at when you said Hemingway, because I'm a big Hemingway fan. And I think this is the first time in 10 years of me doing shows here on the network, 20-some shows, that anybody has ever quoted from Ernest Hemingway. So kudos to you here. And I will point out that, interestingly enough, Ernest Hemingway did dramatic revolutionary exponential change to the field of writing because he started off as a newspaper reporter and of course he was reporting from the battlefields uh, world war one originally and then the and then the spanish american or the spanish uh, civil war and he didn't have much time the bombs are blown so he started writing in this kind of journalistic style bullet points that 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 not this long, flowery prose that people had been practicing for hundreds of years. 
And it changed. Now, you everybody just assumes that's the way a novel reads. But that was new. That was exponential change when he did it. I don't know if he set out to do that or if that was just his style. But there was novel writing before Ernest Hemingway, long, flowery, extended sentences. And then there was after Ernest Hemingway, which continues to this day, short and to the point. Well, and we, in retrospect, you know, decades later, look back at this and we're like, you know, one of the greatest novelists in I don't know how many times time and yeah. like he revolutionized the genre. I wasn't around when he was writing books. <laughs> you um, weren't? Oh, I, I was. No, I'm old enough to but remember. But I imagine, <laughs> I imagine that all of a sudden seeing a different style, that might have been jarring. He might not have been immediately popular no. for that style. I suspect not because it was... It was what you expected to read in the newspaper. Even newspapers tended to be kind of flowery and exaggerated. But he got right to the point. It was what you expect to see now when you see a novel. Very short, very punctuated sentences. Later on, you had the, the great crime writers like uh, here in uh, Southern California and uh, the Mike Hammer kind of series and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Who I am I know. thinking of? Well, anyway, but it, it, those kind of things, you know, it was a dark, stormy night. He walked in. He saw this. You know, it's very punctuated, very uh, short sentences like that. And that was Hemingway really started that style, which came out of writing for newspapers. Gradually and then suddenly. Yeah. yeah I think right. the, if you think about sort of this incremental versus exponential thinking, I mean, you can also think about this in terms of the difference between innovation and disruption, right? Those are different things, right? You could innovate things and make things better. Um, the idea of disruption is to make things obsolete. Uh, let's use Eastman's example, just because I mean it's kind of pressy, and I've uh, I posted something on LinkedIn yesterday that got a lot of uh, attention and a lot of, in some cases, quite a little, quite a bit of debate. I made the mention that it's possible we might have to prepare for a world in which we are not able to use market email for marketing. We have GDPR. Say that in, again. Now wait a minute. No, okay, you well, lost yeah. That. See right there. Wow. So we um, what if we had to prepare for a world? where email was not a marketing channel we could use. And my point is not that email is not effective. As marketers, we know email is effective. Buyers want still get email. I don't think email as a channel is going away. But in Europe, we have this thing called GDPR, which has significantly restricted the ability for companies to send unsolicited email. There's a version of that that is coming to California in 2020. There are several other states that are looking at adopting that. And I think it might not be that long before... The federal law replaces can spam, which basically just puts restrictions on how you can send spam. It doesn't can anything. But that there may be a federal law that significantly keep, significantly restricts how people can use email as a channel. So I'm not saying email is going away. What if we started to think about a world without email? If we assumed email was no longer a channel, how would we think about other channels? How would we think about other means of communicating? If we could envision a world where something is no longer true, does that help us think not just incrementally, but think exponentially? And I'm not, and, and it's not to say that email is going away. I, I, I had a number of people say they're doubling down on email, and the people saying that were those that are, have permission-based lists, and they're doing email the right way. And if, as long as a consumer wants to hear from you, I think that channels like email are going to be fine. But gradually and then suddenly, if we are gradually seeing email be restricted as a unregulated communication channel, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's a good idea or not, doesn't it make sense for us to sit back and say, what would happen if we couldn't use email? What would our marketing in 2020 look like, feel like if we couldn't use email? It's it's hard to imagine because, again, we're used to marketing is partly reaching out to people, 
maybe it's all the time reaching out to people when they didn't ask to be reached out to. A bus drives by with a sign on it. Uh, you have to, you go to YouTube and you want to see how to change a tire, but first you got to watch a video. Um, emails come unsolicited. You know, we're always trying to find a way to stick our message in front of people when they're not asking for it. And maybe that's the bigger question. Can marketing get to a point where it's only permission-based, or are we always going to have to be intruding? Well, and look, I mean, so- sometimes that incremental thinking um, comes from asking sort of kind of crazy questions, right? I mean, if, if we were, like, it, it might be a little silly for me to say, hey, what if you couldn't use email next year? What if you couldn't use email in five years? Right. I don't see a world where that scenario is true. Let's just be clear. But if you can no longer buy any list you want and spam people all you want and just wait for them to unsubscribe, if that is no longer the, the primary way you're going to drive leads, the primary way you're going to communicate with prospects, if that scenario were in fact true, what would you do? And even if that scenario will happen, the thinking that goes behind that, wouldn't you expect that it would come up with new ideas and new perspectives to test that could mitigate the impact of email on your business that could actually improve the overall effect of your marketing independent of what happens to email? So let me, again, I'll, I'll double down on my question. Could we ever get, because I think that's at the core of what GDPR is, and, and that was certainly when we went through these uh, do not disturb lists on uh, phone calls. People feel bombarded by unsolicited marketing messages. You're calling me, you're emailing me, you're texting me, you're doing all this stuff here. And more and more, they're pushing back through governmental organizations saying, stop it. If I want to go find you and ask a question, I will. That's a frightening aspect because then we're all just sitting there waiting for somebody to ask us a question, to walk into our store, to go to our website and raise their hand and want to learn more. And I think that's kind of the way the world is moving. Uh, I don't really like intrusive messaging. And yet, if they didn't intrude, would I ever know that they existed? Well, it's a good point. Um, And I guess the question comes down to, like, I think we all get unsolicited email, right? Right. Um, I occasionally, and I don't, you know, know about everybody, but I occasionally get unsolicited email that actually is useful, that I actually appreciate, that has a message that either intentionally, precisely, or opposite, accidentally, <laughs> something yeah. that was actually interesting to me. So uh, but, there's a value in that. Like, but, I mean, you want to you want to watch you want to watch TV. You're going to watch a few commercials, right? And, and I think we just it's that's also uninterrupted because I just want to finish my damn show. But we just accept now that part of the part of the 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 cost of watching TV for free on a network's network channel in particular is that we have to watch some commercials. Right. YouTube. But there are I mean, people you, that are saying then I'll subscribe. You know, the whole idea of, of subscription, that was what cable was supposed to be. Take the commercials out and just pay for a, a smattering of programming here. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I just think more and more people, I think in my own life, I really don't like unsolicited stuff. I appreciate why they're doing it because they're trying to get my attention. Maybe it would be a combination of artificial intelligence. I always say the YouTube ads would work better if I'm looking to change a tire. If I go to YouTube and say, show me a video on how to change a tire, and a toilet paper ad comes up, I'm angry. Stop, stop, stop. But if a piece of content, if an ad appeared that said, before we show you how to change a tire, let me tell you about tires that never need changing, that are better and last longer, whatever, I might watch that because it had some relevance to what I'm looking for. Yeah, and I know we got to take a quick break here in yeah. a second and, and pay some bills. But I mean, I think it, it's amazing. Like you think about these incremental changes that we all thought were silly and ridiculous that became reality. Yeah. Like Kodak. Like imagine someone would have had the audacity in a in a meeting room in Kodak up in you know up, upstate New York to say, 
what if people no longer needed film? <laughs> yeah, right. What what if Blockbuster would have said <laughs> like, what if people actually don't need physical yeah. devices anymore? I, I remember when Netflix start, first started offering, like, I mean, I was a Netflix subscriber from early on, getting the CDs, right, or the DVDs. Right. And then all of a sudden, they're putting stuff online. Like, who would ever watch? I mean, like, it just it <laughs> yeah. seemed ridiculous. Yeah. And so that's where things like that concept of gradually and then suddenly, the fact, the fact that, you know, we are what was now what is now in the past that we just assume, like, you know, you go on a, you go on a business trip and you can watch whatever movie you want. What was now in the past was once in the future and was hard for us to conceive. And so those crazy questions that you could ask yourself for your business. What would happen if no one needed to go to a retail store to watch a movie anymore? What would happen if we no longer needed film? What would happen if email went away? Does that help prepare us for what's to come? And does that help us at least have a set of scenarios that can mitigate some of that future, those future change? I know we got to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. We got more. We're going to talk a little bit about this idea between innovation and disruption, incremental versus exponential thinking. We'll be right back on Sales Pipeline Radio. Sales teams, is your website helping you turn prospects into customers? Because Intercom thinks it should be. Intercom makes that little chat bubble in the corner of a website. That's their messenger. But it's so much more than that. The Intercom messenger is designed for businesses to jumpstart on customer intent in the moment. It connects you when you're there or automatically books meetings and captures data leads when you're away. You'll sell more, more efficiently. Like Intercom user Elegant Themes, they added the Intercom Messenger to their site, and now they convert 25% of their leads to paid subscriptions through live chat. Just having the Messenger sparked valuable customer conversations that Elegant Themes might not have had otherwise. That's Intercom's whole deal, connecting you to customers while they're on your website with timely, personal insights. Because when customers have a great experience, it's great for business too. Help your website help you land more customers. Then see everything Intercom can do. Go to intercom.com slash deals today. That's intercom.com slash deals. Well, you know, there's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Uh, your your uh, advertiser here, Intercom, they made an incremental change, a little chat bubble that allowed people to react in real time to what people are doing. And look at the disruption it's done. Look at the uh, exponential growth it's caused from companies like that. It gets more meta than that. I mean, look what we just did. People are listening to us prattle on about incremental versus (laughs) exponential change. We interrupt the conversation for an advertisement. Right. So people that are listening, I mean, look, I, mean, I love, like, Intercom has been phenomenal. They've been a great partner for Sales Pipeline Radio. I love their product. I think it's a phenomenal tool for B2B marketers. And I'm not just saying that. We do curate, like we get a lot of people that ask about being part of the show. We sure. get a lot of people that pitch they want to be on the show as a guest. We get people that say, hey, can we sponsor it? And we do curate. I mean, we think about who is our audience, who's listening, and you know what are some sponsors and, and, attend, and uh, participants and some guests that we think would be relevant. But we're choosing that, right? <laughs> you know, not the audience, right? I mean, we didn't plan this out. I thought we, we, you and I are talking about this, and then we break to take this commercial. And I thought that commercial is exactly what we're talking about here. There's a company that came along and said, "Okay, how can you react quicker? How about a little chat bubble? Seems like a very incremental change, not a big deal. I don't know what their service costs, but I'll bet it doesn't cost that much. And all of a sudden, they're giving examples, and I'm sure I could come up with other ones too, where just by having that there." 
exponential growth happens from an incremental change. That's what I often think. I, we had somebody on a, we have a much more philosophical show called the, the Next Chapter here where we talk about kind of what's coming. It's more like personal growth and, your, and how do you make changes in your life. And, and they said basically it's really just a sum total of small steps. Too many people want to make a big leap and that's too often too difficult. Or, or it does, isn't sustainable. I'm going to suddenly transform the organization. I'm suddenly going to radically rethink how we do everything here. That often isn't the best way to do it, according to at least this author that was on. It's lots of little steps that lead up to big change. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, it's another good example. You think about, you know, the what is a chat bot is an intentional way of trying to get more engagement and conversion off of your website. Right. Right. And so and I've, I've seen companies where... Email still exists. Email is still a tool we can all use. But I've seen companies where, you know, they get blacklisted. I mean, I, I worked at a startup where the company had been blacklisted, couldn't send emails anymore. And so all of a sudden, like emails at the time was a pretty big channel source of leads. What if you can't send emails? Like, what if you can't send emails? So what, in that scenario, we were forced in the moment, in a very big fire drill scenario, to yeah. say, like, what we get a lot of traffic, what we do to get better leads off of our traffic. What do we do with the rivers of content, with the rivers of traffic that we have to get a higher conversion on that? So that becomes that becomes a forcing function that if you would have thought about in advance, maybe you would have mitigated the risk of having a singular channel in the first place. Well, I'll tell you again, we're going to interrupt the conversation with somebody we didn't expect to call in, but somebody's listening, and uh, Jim Obermeyer himself wants to uh, pipe in. Hey, Jim, what do you got to add to the conversation here? Are we are we off base? Are we are we hallucinating? Or are we onto something here? I thought for sure that Matt had read the the article this week from the Wall Street Journal about. Uh, how email is going to be, and the internet itself is going to be controlled more and more by governments. Mm. And as you started it, and let's face it, the internet is email. Email is the internet to a great extent, but China already controls the internet. They do. It's, it's frightening. I mean, Korea, it's yeah. Korea controls the internet, and after GDPR, GDPR. Many parts of Europe are starting to control it, and they're looking at doing it here in the U.S., as you mentioned, California. So Matt's, Matt's question is very, very timely. What would you do if you didn't have Internet capability that we do today and the email? Well, let's face it, politicians love to solve problems that aren't problems. <laughs> that's how you get elected. I really, that's the definition of how you get elected here. You're, you find some problem and you blow it up and then you solve it. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to solve a real problem, you know, sometimes here. How are we going to solve, yeah. you know, how do we well, solve I the really, debt? I you know? government <laughs> remember back in the day when Congress was first tackling the idea of unsolicited email. Like people saw this, this enormous problem. We're getting inundated. We're getting too many emails we don't want. So we are going to get rid of the spammers, right? And I think that's a great idea that we we're just going to like, we we're just going to make it so that people can't send email. People can't send unsolicited email. Right. And the term, I mean, the, the very term can spam implies that they're getting rid of spam. Right. They canned it. Did they? <laughs> I'm still getting a lot of bad email, yeah. right? So, so I I, uh, I don't think they've canned anything. And what happened in the, in, the, in the tool is that we didn't get rid of spam. We basically just gave people conditions with which they could send email, which did get rid of some particular nefarious people that weren't doing it well. And there now there are now some rules that allow so that you know the government to go to go after certain players. I believe can spam was not an exponential change; it was an incremental change. I think GDPR is maybe somewhere in the middle. Like the fact that it is now giving consumers complete control over whether they you will forget them as a customer, having double opt-ins and ensuring that you actually have you know permission to send someone an email, 
like in, in many parts of Europe, like you cannot directly contact a customer unless they've contacted you first. We had that comes to the U.S. That is exponential change. We had somebody on the other day on another show, and I don't know if they're just trying to be bomb throwers and and again like Matt's doing, you know, the what if scenarios. But they felt that the G, this was actually an intellectual property attorney or something like that. And she said, you know, if you really want to be compliant if, with these GDPR rules, particularly as they come to California and other places here, it isn't just email. Every time you ask for data, you're at a trade show and you ask for somebody's, you want to scan their card, you better show them your your policy of how you're going to store this data and how you're going to protect their data and ask permission for it. It isn't just enough to say, hey, can I scan your card without telling them how they're going to, what you're going to do with that scan and how you're going to not abuse it and how you're going to protect it from being stolen. How about well, that? There's a significant amount of confusion even in the marketplace in B2B about what can spam is. There are plenty of people that think that it prohibits unsolicited email. And there are many legal departments for companies we work with and talk to that want to interpret it that way yeah. because they want they want to keep themselves entirely protected even for people that misinterpret the rules. I guess my I mean it, this is actually a really good example then of incremental versus exponential thinking because simply saying, well, you have to put your your physical address at the bottom of the email. Well, you have to have a very visible uh, unsubscribe link. Like that's not fixing spam right but my point to g isn't gdpr not just permission to opt out i thought it's also you have to have a policy in place and you have to disclose it at the time of collecting the data here i have a way to protect this and it's not going to get broken your data will be safe you do you do but the one thing it doesn't completely rule out it doesn't say you cancel and solicited email under gdpr rules you can still Technically, you can still email someone unless they tell you that they want to be off the list and they tell you they want to be forgotten. Like this is why it's such a big deal, right, is because it's not just, oh, unsubscribe. It's like, no, take me out of your databases entirely and take me out of all of your databases. And the reason why people took it, the other reason people took it, have taken it so seriously is that the the punishments are incredibly oh, huge. Severe. Yeah, right. And I know there's already like an enormous backlog of complaints that, you know, kind of, you know, could make some of this a moot point because, you know, people, it's going to take forever to get to some of these. But the idea, like, that still is incremental. We're, we're putting greater restrictions on email versus saying, unless someone asks for it, can't send it. Like, that still doesn't exist today. Well, what does exist, a time clock that we're up against here. Jim's got the last word here. The article I saw uh, in the Wall Street Journal, The Rising Threat of Digital Nationalism, all about is the global internet coming to an end. So great discussion, gentlemen. I'll, I'll bail off as you finish up. Okay. I'm going to leave with one more thought here, and that is I did find the author I was talking about here. I couldn't think of it. Raymond Chandler, the great Raymond Chandler, oh, yes. wrote all the Philip Marlowe series, and his favorite one was The Big Sleep. Maybe that's where we're headed towards here. Oh, man. Well, we started with Hemingway. We ended with Chandler. This was fun. We should do this more often. <laughs> I agree. We've got to find some good topics and uh, relate it back. I think there was some good back and forth here. Well, I appreciate everyone putting up with a different format today on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you like this conversation and want to share it with others on your team, maybe encourage others to think about uh, exponential uh, thinking uh, in their business. Uh, definitely catch a replay of this on salespipelineradio.com in here just a couple of days, and we'll have a uh, transcript of this conversation on heinzmarketing.com in about a week. Thanks again for listening. For my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week on Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio right here on the Funnel Radio Network for at-work listeners like you.